Today we have Reed Goosens on the show. Are you curious about what it takes to invest in multifamily properties? Reed Goosens is a real estate investor invested in 15 multifamily properties for over 3,000 units. He's also an author of two books and a speaker. Reed left Australia and came to New York City without a job, without a big stash of cash, and without a support system in the U.S. What he did have was a belief in himself. That's one of his sayings, betting on yourself. He is also a big believer in leveraging your internal curiosity to take action. If you want to learn what it takes, then listen to this episode. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Reed Goosens before we start the show. Reed came to the U.S. from Australia with nothing more than a bet on himself. He worked hard, took risks, leveraged his curiosity, and found a way to build a sizable multifamily real estate portfolio. He started a podcast, wrote two books, is a speaker, attends masterminds, and helps others learn how to invest in multifamily. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest here. We have Reed Goosens. Reed, appreciate you coming on the show. Darren, thanks for having me, mate. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how I know Reed. This is actually the first time that we're getting a chance to talk to each other. Um, but we kind of run in the same circles and, and I see him all over the place on social media. He's got a podcast. We'll talk about that. He's also the author of two books, um, Huge Accomplishment, and he's from Australia. So um, love this conversation. I'm looking forward to it. And um, typically, first question I ask is how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? Yeah, I currently control, I think it's 15 units as of this Friday. So a bit over 3,000 units, probably 3,200 units right now uh, in the portfolio. So, so you said that's 15 all units, 15, 15 properties. 15 properties. My, my apologies. 15 properties. <laughs> 32, about 3,200 like, units. I was like, 15 units. Holy cow. This is probably the, <laughs> the smallest number of units we've ever had on the show. But now you clarified it with 3,100 units. That's correct. Yeah. Fantastic. Closing on a new about a hundred million dollar deal this coming Friday, which is going to be pretty exciting. Awesome. Awesome. And you live in LA, um, but you're originally from Australia. So, so talk about that. Like, how did you even decide to come over? Why did you decide to come over? Um, mm -hmm. You know, talk about that whole story. Two things is really the, the love of two different things. And that's uh, the love for New York City and the love for my then girlfriend, now wife, Erica. Um, so I chased a girl out here. 
really just came out here um, to, in 2012 just to move out here to be to be an expat. I wanted to live in New York City for a period of time. There was a really great visa with Australia and the United States. If you have a, a white collar job, which my background is in structural engineering, um, you can come to the country, you can get, if you've got a job offer, you can come, you can get the job, you get the visa and you can stay indefinitely. And, you know, I was really infatuated by, by Erica at the time. And I was like, you know, do you want to move to New York City together? And she said, yes, she, she's American and let's move in together and start a relationship. And that's essentially what, what got me here. And then through curiosity and wanting to, to do more with my life, I, I started stumbling across real estate. And, and for those people out there that don't kind of, you know, realize it, you know, America does have a lot more, you know, lower barriers to entry than my home country. Um, think of, uh, you know, high appreciation markets like LA, San Francisco, New York, that, that's like what my entire country is like. So when I first moved to the United States, I, I realized pretty quickly um, just the, the, the incredible you know, power of population and then also, you know, bringing up these secondary and tertiary markets, which I could get investing and started investing for as little as 40 or $50,000. So I bought actually my first property all cash, um, probably six months being fresh off the boat uh, back in 2012 uh, in upstate New York in a, in a, in a little town called Syracuse um, when, I, when I was living in New York City. So that's that's the coming to America story. Obviously, there's a lot that's happened in the last nine years, which I can't even believe it's going to be up 10 years as of next year. That's just absolutely insane. Um, it's, it's crazy. I, 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 I honestly talk about this story a lot. And I'm thinking, oh, I think this was like the other day, right? And it's like, no, it's 10 years ago. Like, holy crap. <laughs> so, yeah. How'd you even yeah. meet your wife? I mean, is she, is she American or is she Australian yeah. also? So she's American. We actually met in okay. 2009. Um, I was backpacking in Europe. I was living in the south of France. If you've ever seen the show Below Deck on, uh, you know, the, um, the cable, it's a show about deckhands working for mega wealthy people of the world. I was doing that before it was cool. Uh, and I, I just, you know, happened to meet her gallivanting around the south of France I continued doing that for 2009. We stayed in touch and then she ended up moving out to Australia uh, into late 2010 to do her master's degree, just coincidentally, you know, met me uh, traveling. We kept in touch. She came out. She's like, Hey, I'm coming out. It's like, awesome. <laughs> and we, we started a relationship from there. So then the rest is history, as they say. So, yeah. Fantastic. So South of France, where, where, where exactly? We, I was based in Antibes, which is near Nice, which is okay. sort of like the hub for all yachties who want day work. The reason why I ask is, is my mom is actually from Nice. And so Ooh. we used to, growing up, uh, so she came to the U.S., she met my, my father and they got married. Um, but we, we would spend summers when I was growing up, we'd spend summers at my grandparents in, in Nice uh, for a week. And then we would go to Saint-Tropez for, for like three weeks mm -hmm. and- you know, life was tough, you know, spending time. Yeah, in life was tough for you. Gee, sounds, right, you know? sounds yeah. pretty awesome, man. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Not, not bad as a kid to be able to grow up that way. Um, but uh, fantastic. So you so end you up fluent? in... Are you, are, you, are you fluent in French? No, I could, I could kind of get by, you know, I understand mm -hmm. more than I would speak it. You know, you know how the, mm -hmm. the Europeans, they can go to a cafe and sit, sit out at a cafe for hours and just talk right and have mm -hmm. one cup of coffee mm -hmm. um so i would understand a lot but i i i didn't speak it that much so um i i knew enough to get by but yeah, same, um same here <laughs> so you're in new york you buy this um uh, was it a single family in in no, it was actually a triplex syracuse it was a triplex, oh, it was a triplex. Oh, it was a triplex. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Wow, 38K triplex um, in 2012 in Syracuse. And were you scared? Oh, 100%. But, but here's the thing, Darren. I, I Moving to the US was the hard part. Buying the property was... I was all, I'd already been bitten by the real estate bug prior to moving to the US. And I was, I'd picked up the book Richard Port out. I'm sure a lot of the people in the show, you know about this book, you know, if you've been living under a rock, you should go read it. Um, <laughs> right. And that, that, that was, that, that was really, that was in 2000. When I got back from gallivanting around the world in Australia, I read this book because I would, you know, was in a cubicle and I was being, I was a structural engineer. And I was like, there's more to life than just sitting here in this cubicle being a small cog in a big machine. And that's when I started being curious about certain things and investing and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't even know what the word entrepreneurship meant. So going back to being scared, I'd already sort of had pre-educated myself for a couple of years before buying that property. And one of the stories I tell a lot on these shows is that Americans don't realize how much access to information they had. And particularly in 2012, when I first rocked up in New York, I remember two weeks fresh off the boat, I'm at a real estate investment association meetup, Three other, 300 other people all there learning about real estate. And I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like I didn't have any of this in Australia. So for me, it was really just taking opportunities with two hands and knowing that I needed to change my mindset about the way that Americans you know, invest. I didn't know anything about cap rates and EIN numbers and bank accounts and credit scores and all that sort of stuff, but I had to learn it. And once I learned it, I was like, okay, well, let's, let's go get started. Well, what have I got to spend? Well, I only got, I think I saved $40,000 for my corporate gig at the time. Um, let's go, let's go use that. And all I could buy at the time was, you know, all cash because no one was going to lend to me because again, I didn't have any credit. I just moved here. So it was about sort of the process of elimination of what could I buy? Where could I buy? And how close was it to my you know location at the time, which was in New York city to get me going? Because you know, my big thing, Darren, is that you don't get to deal number 10 without doing deal number one. And regardless of yeah. if you hit it out of the park or not, you've got to get going. And for me, it was years at that point. In 2012, it was probably two and a half years of self-education. And I knew I was just getting to the point of analysis paralysis and I need to go take action. And so many people talk about action taking, but it is important. It's the most important thing we do in building any business. You don't, you sit on your hands and you sit on, the, on your butt. You're not going to, no, nothing's going to walk through the door and present you with an opportunity to, to move your business forward. You have to go take action. And, you know, it may have been perfect in the beginning for all those people listening, but it's still taking action towards moving the needle, you know, to where you want to go. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think I ask you whether you were scared because, you know, look, I've interviewed a lot of people, a lot of syndicators on the show that own thousands of units. And many times that first deal, you know, was the scariest. Look, you you said you were scared doing a 38K deal, but now you're closing on a $100 million deal this week. You probably, you know, still, you, I mean, it's a big deal. You probably have some nervousness, but it's you're confident because you've done it so many times now, you know, that it's different than that first time when you were, had it unknown. I had it similar where I did a duplex and mm-hmm. it was a new construction duplex. And I had the capital, man. It wasn't like it was going to like change my life if things went sideways, but it was the first time doing it. And I was scared doing it. I was like, you know, but I, I was able to push past that fear and actually take action anyway. And, and now I've done, you know, I don't know, I'm invested in over 4,000 units, but that first one is scary. And that's what I want the listeners to understand is like, 
look, you know, Reed is very accomplished. He's doing a $100 million deal this week. But he started with a $38,000 deal, you know, so you have to do something to get going. Yes. And, and I think there's so much social media out there and people, in, you know, pod, podcasting and boasting. Don't get me wrong, listeners. It's been a lot of hard work getting to where we are today. And there's been a lot of scary moments along the way, you know, pushing your boundaries. Just even moving to the United States for me was, was a scary, you know, thought at the time. Trying to get a job in the United States. Like, I literally quit my job in Australia to move here. I didn't have anything lined up. I had a tourist visa and I went knocking on every single engineering door in New York City until someone <laughs> said yes. So it's all about these little incremental pushing your comfort zone whether it be finding that job, whether it be you know, putting an offer on that property, whether it be just always upsizing or upscaling or up-leveling, whatever you want to call it. And guess what? The thing is, things are going to continue to be scary. And that's what helps us push us forward to do bigger and better things, right? I can sit here today, 10 years later, and talk about that stuff. Well, in 10 years' time, I'm going to hopefully do something really cool again. <laughs> and totally, and totally different, this, right? Totally different, right? It's all about pushing your boundaries and being uncomfortable. So I think that's really, really important. The other thing that's really important is betting on yourself. Like you mentioned before, you had the capital. It, was your, you, you, it wasn't going to, you know, take the shirt off your back, but it was, again, I was in the same position. It was my capital to risk, $38,000. If I stuffed it up, it was my fault. I, I still had a job. And I, I weighed up all the failure scenarios and I got comfortable well, okay, this is how I'm going to take that next step. Yeah, I am willing. I wasn't gambling. It was an it was it was a risk um, calculated risk because I'd spent time educating. It wasn't just me throwing money against the wall, but I knew I had protected my downside because even if it did go bad, I had insurance or the house burnt down or whatever. I still had a roof over my head. I still had a day job. I could still keep the bills paid, and I'm sure that's what a lot of listeners, including yourself, Darren, would have been thinking as you do that first deal, right? Yeah, absolutely. I love that you said, you know, it's layers. It's it's pushing boundaries. And, and because, you know, you don't see it at first, but by taking that first step, once you do that, then all of a sudden you start thinking differently and looking for the next layer on top, the next, you know, step to get a little uncomfortable but if you didn't take that first step, you don't, you can't layer those things on top. That's right. That's right. Exactly. You know, for you, I mean, look, you not only did, have you grown the business to not 15 units, but 3,100 units, um, <laughs> but you've also started a podcast. You've also written two books. So talk about, um, you know, those two things, starting a podcast and, and writing two books, what those books are about, what, you know, what the goal is for those books and, and whatnot. So the podcast actually was the tail to wag the dog. Um, I, when I started getting into, I'd done a few deals in 2012 and 13. And prior to moving to Los Angeles, I, I knew I was getting to a, a point where I needed to um, do more. Like I'd started to hit that ceiling. I wasn't, you know, I, I was only earning a certain amount of money. I, I, I think I had three little deals that I'd purchased by myself, but I knew I needed to do more. I wasn't going to just create financial freedom overnight. And through a conversation with a very good friend of mine from Canada who came down to New York City, we we're having a beer at, at the pub. 
and he is he's sort of boasting. Oh, I was boasting to him. I was like, hey man, I got you know these seven seven little units in upstate New York. I'm you know I'm crushing it, right? And he goes on to tell me about his he just pulled together a seventy unit deal. And I said, you know, seventy units like seven zero. And he's like, yeah, seventy. And I was like, why did you do that? Like that's that's so so far removed from what I was even thinking. And he went into right. all of it you know, seller caravac financing, other people's money, getting a mentor, all these things that I'd been to seminars and people, you know, spout on stage and you read it in a book. But here's a guy, a good friend of mine, had no idea. He's now set the bar at a new height. And so that was the impetus to go, okay, I need to take this and do and double down. What do I need to do? Well, the first thing you mentioned was a mentor. I went out and got a mentor and a very cheap mentor at the time. He's not cheap anymore. And through that mentor, he encouraged me to go, you should start a podcast because you have a story. And, I, and I'm an engineer, Darren, like I'm black and white brain. Like I'm very mathematical. I had no idea about talking about stories and brand building and blah, blah, blah. But it was like, well, I, maybe someone else would find this interesting. And I started sure. in 2014, the podcast called Investing in the US. And it was really just about my story coming here, learning about EIN numbers and LLCs and setting bank accounts up and foreign you know, exchange accounts and how to then go look for deals and build your team on the ground. All the things that every single American wants to do when, you, when you're investing out of state. So do foreign investors want to, when they come to the US. So I started really niching towards the international investment community. Over time, that has grown. And now the majority of my investors are actually Americans. But it was through my right? story that I started. Yeah, yeah, through my story, I actually started the podcast. And then from the podcast, I created these two books. One of the book is called Investing in the US. It's just literally taking audio into written form. And the second book I wrote was called 10,000 Miles to the American Dream, Our Story of Financial Freedom. And it was actually a, uh, a congregation of, of, of Aussies that we've, we've all come across the ditch and we've created successful real estate businesses here in the United States, all through different facets or you know different asset classes, technology, self-storage, mobile home parks. And we said, we've got a story to tell and we all wrote a chapter about that. And that was launched about a year and a half ago, um, he, he, obviously here in the US. So again, it was all through story building. It was all through trying to, to share a story with someone else to, to, to build the brand, to build the investor database. And through that, so I started the podcast before I actually done my first syndication. And that was all about trying to raise capital um, in and around you know, being vulnerable, sharing a story, sharing a commonality with people to attract people into my sphere who ultimately want to do business with me. So, so that's that's how that got started from one conversation at a at a pub, at a pub uh, with, with a friend from from Canada telling me about his uh, seventy unit deal. So yeah, that's awesome. But you but you took action, right? I mean, and look, right. when you started a podcast, did you know how to start a podcast? No. No, I think my grandma, no. my, my, my mom, and, and maybe my dog was the, <laughs> the only two people listening to it, right? You and, know, and so you had no let, idea, like, no, go ahead. No, no idea. And, and, and let me say, the goal is not to be the next Tony Robbins or the next Tim Ferriss. The goal is to be a key person of influence in my sphere. There's going to be people, like, right. if I have a thousand investors, accredited investors, I'm going to be able to do a lot of deals, right? I don't need... 100,000 investors. I'd love to have 100,000 investors. That's what we're, you know, we'll build towards that. But in the beginning, when you're building your brand, you're talking about a podcast, you're trying to build a platform. It's just about to be a key personal influence in the, in the sphere that you currently run. And having a podcast using platforms like YouTube and you know, iTunes and all these SoundCloud, all these things to elevate and, and project your, your, your story and your message helps then attract more business to you. 
And I think that's really important for other people listening to that. They think, oh, there's so many podcasts out there. And yeah, there are so many podcasts out there. But there's a podcast that, again, this is, the goal wasn't to be an Oprah Winfrey or, you know, again, a Tim Ferriss or, or a Tony Robbins. It was just to build a brand for myself in order to get me started and start raising capital. Sure. And it's a win-win, right? So, you know, you're... One of your side goals is, is to uh, develop an investor database and, you know, have more capital to do bigger deals. You know, on the flip side, look, I've been involved with a lot of nice country clubs and, you know, been around a lot of wealthy people. But until I got involved with real estate and going to conferences and meeting people in the space, I had never been even offered an opportunity to invest until four years ago. You know, mm-hmm. and that's crazy, you know, so it's a win for the passive investor. I mean, I had a deal where I put in a hundred grand three years ago and I got back 120, my hundred grand plus another 120 this in three years. Like, mm-hmm. well, I mm-hmm. wouldn't have done that in the stock market. Right? right. And had I not gone and got educated and met other syndicators like yourself, you know, and in, took action and, and invested with them, I wouldn't have had that return. You know, so it's, it's not just about the podcaster getting more investors. It's also helping the people that actually invest make great returns. And then out of that thousand that you're influencing, you know, there may be five or 10 that start their own podcast and build their own influence, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a ripple effect. And people don't realize that. That's exactly right. And then I'll, I'll, here's a dirty secret, Darren. I don't make a lot of money off my podcast, if anything. I've, it's been going for seven years now. But it also acts like a mentor. I get to speak to and interview some of the best minds in the real estate industry here in the United States and, and learn stuff from them, right? I, I learn right. all the time. I'm learning right now, like from you. And that's the benefit of, of, of producing a platform is to share the knowledge with other people who may not be as educated. But it also helps educate yourself as the presenter, because again, I started it with very little experience and I just started interviewing people who had more experience than I. And thus that's acted, I was then, you know, again, up leveling and trying to be better and, uh, you know, assimilate with people and surround myself with people who, who I aspired to be. That, that's huge. Uh, I, I say the same thing. Like some people will listen to maybe two, three, four, five episodes, Right. But I say, I listen to every single one of them and I learn from every guest. So, so I benefit that much more. Um, Hey, you mentioned mentorship group. I think that's important Mm -hmm. because, um, so I joined a mentorship group. I joined one in Dallas, uh, the Brad Sumrock group, but there's, there's a plenty of great mentorship groups around, um, the country and people, some people outside, you know, looking in, they're like, you know, is it worth the money? And, and I'm like, look, for me, yeah, it taught me like all the steps I had to do, right? But the bigger thing was getting plugged into a network. You know, I met my business partner there. I met, you know, the attorney that I use for my syndications. I met property management company, like all these things that I would have had to try to figure out on my own. In addition, you, you look around the room and you see all these people doing 100 unit, 200 unit, 300 unit deals. And you're like, you know, they're smart. They're nice people. But if they can do it, I can do it. Right. Mm-hmm. 
But if you surround yourself with only like your friends and family that have never done it, you get, it's very hard, you know? So talk about, you know, immersing yourself in the industry and, and the mentorship group and, and people in the industry. Well, I think one more even important step with a mentor, and I didn't do, I didn't go to a group. I was, it was a one-on-one coaching at the time. And again, 2014 gotcha. was probably very early in the day. But it, what it did was I took, again, go back to what I said earlier, I was able to take a bet on myself. The money I spent for me, looking back at the time, it was very much, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? For me, it's no, you are worth it. And here's a check for X amount of money. I'm going to take this goddamn seriously. <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Like it right. is, it is, it, it has that subconscious effect on you that for me, at least it was like, all right, you've just, I've just said to myself, I'm betting on, I'm betting on Reed Goosens because I, I can do this as you, to your point, if someone else can do it, so can I, why should I be, why can't I go do what, what these other people are doing? And right. yes, you get the benefits of immerse, immersing, immersing yourself with people in the industry. That's, that's a, that's some of the benefits that people immediately see. But I still think the most important one is that you're taking a bet on yourself. And that is so people look over that too quickly. And that money you pay is that investment in yourself. And I just, I think that's just one of the most important things as you're getting going. I, I go to, I go to seminars and web uh, and conferences all the time. I was just at IMN conference here in Santa Monica speaking um, on stage and the beauty about going to these things and hanging around is that you realize the industry is pretty small, you know, as big as, as, an, as a foreigner coming to the United States, I'd, you know, the outsider would think, God, the multifamily real estate industry in the U.S. must be massive. It is. But once you start hanging around all the same people, you start to know, like, you're maybe two degrees of separation at max in this industry. Most times it's just one. Um, and it's, 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 it's a cool industry to be in. Everyone knows each other for, for better part. Everyone's pretty, gets on pretty well. You know, I don't know. I don't, there's not many two people I haven't met that don't love to do real estate and want to talk shop. So for me, getting a mentor was really, uh, influential. I will say it wasn't the silver bullet. It helped me get to that next stepping stone. The mentor I have sure. today, the business coach I have today is different from that person who I first started with. My mentor in 10 years right. time is going to be even different from where I am today. So I, as I evolve as an entrepreneur, my, my, my coaches, my people in my corner will evolve with me in terms of the needs and the blind spots that I have. And when you're getting started, you need to see the roadmap laid out in front of you. You need to see the how to build the business, the mechanics of it. Once you get to a certain point, like today, I have a business coach that doesn't have anything to do with real estate. It's all to do with mindset like a CEO mm-hmm. business coach. And that's important for me today. And again, in 10 years time, something else is going to be even more important. So it will just, but, but having people in your corner to show you where your blind spots are is worth every penny you spend on because it will make you a better human being, a better person, a better leader, a better investor, a better entrepreneur. And that is what will help propel the business forward. I completely agree. And, and look, like, just like yourself, there's, there's, there's other people that it's me. It blows my mind. I'll interview people that, I mean, net, huge net worth, huge. And they're still paying, they're paying out of pocket to be part of masterminds, to be part of other groups because they're still trying to level up to the next level. There's always mm-hmm. somebody above you and somebody below you, right? And so 
it's it's a never life is a never ending thing, you know, where you just continually try to push yourself. I thought, you know, look, after getting the first syndication done, okay, well, then I know how to do it, right? But then no, somebody's like, oh, you got to start a platform. So, you know, do a podcast, whatever. <laughs> and, and then it's like, look, you've written two books. Did you know how to write a book? No, um, no, it was, it was, it was arduous. I can tell you that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, so like, talk about that. I mean, that's, that's hard, right? I mean, it was well, hard it's, work. It's it was something. Hard, man. It's, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Completely the, the, the new. Books, it, mm-hmm. The books, and the books are, go ahead. Keep, keep, keep going your thoughts. No, I'll, no, I'll no, no, no. I want, I want to, I want to hear like the, you know, the difficulty, like, look, you already were doing deals. You already started a podcast. You were already building your investor database. You were already building your wealth. You didn't have to go write two books, right? But like, it was like the next uncomfortable thing to layer on top. Right. That's exactly correct. So talk about how difficult that was. Well, so the difficulty became easier when I realized I was already creating one platform. So I was already, I'd I'd started the podcast and I said to myself, I'm not a great writer. I know that. I'm going to put my hand up. Um, But I've already created content through the podcast. Why can't I extract that content and put it into written form and have, and, and, and then have someone, an editor, help me craft the story around it. And that's what I did. I remember the first version of the book, Investing in the U.S., it read like a textbook. <laughs> Again, back to my mathematical brain, it read like a textbook. And I had to bring in people to help me make it sound and be, you know, softer. Now, also, I know that I didn't write the New York Times bestseller, right? But again, it's a portfolio building exercise. I'm probably going to write four or five more books in my lifetime because I'll have experiences to share with other people and I enjoy sharing. But it's, it, 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 there was a saying, the best book you read is the one you write. And it teaches you so much about yourself, so much about what you've learned in the industry, and that's helping someone else move forward. And for me, the struggle of writing and getting the words on the page and getting to the, what is it, 90,000 words or whatever it was, it just, it was a long process, but I did it knowing that the end goal would help me be an extension of my business card, extension of what I know, and help me solidify my experience with other people in the industry. And that's, 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 that's all you can ask from it, right? I'm not trying to make, become a millionaire from my book. It's just, again, a collection of thoughts to try and help share with someone who can help, who can get to know me in a shorter period of time whilst also learning at the same time. And I think that's very, very important. Yeah. Very, very important. So, you know, somebody is going to invest $100,000 $100,000 or $250,000 in one of your deals. It's an opportunity for them to get, who is this guy Reed? I want to get to know him a little better. You know, I listen to his podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read his book. And now all of a sudden I get a little sense of, on who the person is, not just, Correct. you know, what the returns have been on some of his other deals. And that's, that's right. important to a lot of people. In addition, you probably don't realize it, but you know, your kids are probably going to read that book at some point, you know, um, it, not, not when they're young, right. They're, they're probably like, they'll listen to anybody, but their dad, you know, once they're teenagers, but, um, you know, and then there's other people that may read it and it may inspire them to go do something and you don't even hear about it. You may not even hear about it, you know? That's right. Um, 
But, you know, I applaud you for doing that because it's, it's anybody who's written a book, you know, I applaud. It's, it's a difficult thing and um, you're giving back, you know? Um, so good for you, man. So you, t- you talk about getting uncomfortable and, you know, starting a podcast, writing the books, you know, what are the, why should people get uncomfortable? Why, why do that? I think, so looking back on it, I think uncomfortable is the result. But what it starts is with is curiosity. Being curious curiosity. about something, yes. being curious about something helps drive us to get out of bed every morning. And I've, for the longest period of time, I didn't know what that was. You know, my North Star when I first started was I've got to quit my day job and I've got to get out of the rat race. That's, that's, that's just what it is. And it took me a decade. I think it took me eight years to finally quit my day job before once I picked, well, I picked that book, the book Richard put out, it took me eight years later to get to that point where I was like, I'm ready to leave and I have enough money in the bank to go try this on my own. As I grow, now that that was, now I've achieved that North Star, what's the new North Star? Well, that's where I now start to realize as a human and and in myself is that I'm just really curious about stuff. And I think if you continue to be curious, you will continue to push your boundaries. So again, when I moved to the United States, I was curious just to live in the United States. My whole thing was, if it doesn't work out, I'll move back to Australia. If I, and I keep asking myself, Darren, will my 65 year old or 70 year old self regret the decision I make today? And nine times out of 10, the answer is no. And because it's through that curiosity that fuels us to get uncomfortable, to put ourselves into positions that we kind of don't realize we get into, like the buying the first deal, like the trying to get the job, like doing your first syndication, like pivoting. And I know there's going to be a ton more curiosity things that I'm going to achieve in my rest of my life that will make me more uncomfortable. But I just know that I'm just a curious human being and that's okay. And that's what we've got to get comfortable with. And when you get comfortable with being curious, there's going to be side effects, which means you're going to have to push the boundaries. Otherwise, you're never going to jump or you're never going to take that next step. And so many people are curious, right? So many people are like, hey, what's this real estate thing about? Let's go to a couple of seminars. Let's do this. And they feel good in themselves. But then they stop there because they don't have it's, there's not a big enough desire and drive to take that leap of faith. And the difference is, I think, with people who are quote unquote successful versus people who stick to their lane is that curiosity is so strong within someone that it makes them jump. They get to, they get to that point, say, okay, I learn it, I'm going to jump. And hopefully something's going to catch me. The net will appear, as they say. So for me, it's being uncomfortable is a side effect of being curious. I, lo- I love that curiosity. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, I don't know when I feel the juices flowing the most is when I'm going after something I haven't done. You know, mm, it's that's correct. You know, it it's even though it's uncomfortable and it's uh, look, it's a risk that you may fail, right? You may fail in front of your family, in front of your friends, and you know, um, it's not the safe thing, but. That's when I feel most alive, you know, is when I'm going after something that I haven't done before. And, and so I love that you talk about curiosity because I, I do believe you have to have curiosity and persistence and determination to get there, to get to the other side. That's huge. Yes. No, that's very important. Yeah. That's very important. The other thing you said, oh. you know, um, 
you know, you were talking about like, you start thinking about what can happen. And I've, you know, I've heard from a lot of big time real estate investors would ask themselves, I'd ask them, you know, look, are you scared, you know, doing that deal? And I heard a number of different investors say, yes, but I think to myself, what's the worst thing that can happen if I, if I take action? And can I live with that? And then what's the upside? And, and which, which one is probably more, uh, is, has a higher probability of happening? Because so many people are so focused on never having the downside. They don't want to lose. Mm. They don't want to fail. They're not willing to look at the upside. Right. And, and, it, and it comes from a lot of inner fears about judgment, judgment on themselves, judgment from others. I, and I do like what you say about, yes, curiosity needs to be coupled with persistence because you, you can't just be constantly looking for shiny objects and otherwise you never get anything done. But there is, that's what helps starts the, the, the ball. But yeah, you're right. It, it, so many people don't ever take the leap of faith because they're so worried about the downside. And all I can say is it's back to that betting on yourself. Once you assess all the risks, right? Once I assessed it, if I'm moving to the United States, it didn't work. Well, I'd have a three-month vacation in New York City, try to get a job, and <laughs> I'll go back to Australia. You know, like that's that's hey, the worst and thing. And I'll you're hanging to. out with a, with a girl that you're, you know, you're very exactly, interested in. So. Exactly. That's exactly right. right. I'll go back and get another job. Um, you know, the, 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 the chasing of the deal, the chasing of, of putting that first deal under contract. Well, I remember like, well, it was my money. I think the same with you. It was like, you weren't going to lose the shirt off your back. And right. I was okay getting to that, to, to, to taking that leap of faith. And it's just all comes down to what's the worst thing that can happen and how to protect my downside. And if you get comfortable with that, that is, and again, you don't have to jump to going and trying to put a hundred unit deal under contract, right? That's, there's a big jump there. There's a lot of stepping stones. I'm sure Darren, you could write a whole book about yourself or, you know, getting those little stepping stones. But what we're trying to, what I'm, the, the example of moving to America, finding the job, you know, getting that first deal under contract, they're all little stepping stones to get you to the hundred unit or the 300 unit or the 10,000 yeah, do units. something. It ha- do something. It happens through small stepping stones, not the Oh, 10 years later, I got to this, you know, the overnight success that's taken 15 years to get to, you know, that type of analogy. And so it's all just about being also self-aware. I think being self-aware is really important where you know, like I knew at the time when I got wanted to get that first deal done, there's just something inside me. I was like, I'm, man, I, I need to go, I don't need to go spend $30,000 on a mentor. I need to go to spend $30,000 buying a house because I'd rather do that than a mentor because these I'd, I'd be in the deep end swimming. You know what I mean? I, I, I'd, I'd get off the right. starting block. And we all get to that point and you, you know, indiv- as an individual, you, your body, sh- you should be in tune with your body enough to say, I'm ready to take that next level, right? Whatever that might be in wherever you are in, in life. I'm, I'm, I'm at a crossroads right now, personally, you know, on a, on a business and we don't have to get into it, but there's an element there of still being curious, cu- curious, to say there's this other path I could go down, which gives me those juices you spoke about earlier, which gives me the challenge of, of being more and, and living up to my full potential. But I think it goes back to the question I asked myself earlier is like, will I be satisfied at 70 years of age if I don't make the decision today? Will I regret right. not making that decision you know, 30, 40 years ago? And nine times out of 10, most people I interview on my show say, yes, I, I don't regret the decision to 
quit the job and chase the dream and chase the girl and get after those deals. So <laughs> I think all of it absolutely. comes and down around to perspective. A- absolutely. Like, so we're mainly talking about real estate, but we'll, you know, we'll go off on the on business tangent, like somebody that, you know, takes a chance on going after a business idea. Well, a lot of businesses, not all, but a lot of businesses, they go after something and then all of a sudden it's not working, but you, they're hearing that there's another need in them and they pivot. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden that's successful, but they never would have gotten to that point had they not gone out and, and done that, you know? Right. And, and that's so good. it's, it's, Again, it comes down to, to, to action. You know, funny story about, um, you mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I had Sharon Lecter, who was mm-hmm. co-author of, of that with, um, and interesting story she said was that when they developed that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, you know, this was back before lead magnets and internet, you know, having an internet website funnels to and- gra- <laughs> grab emails and funnels and all that. So they developed that book and had a contact page in it. And that was going to be a lead generator to, you know, for their education program. And that book ended up changing so many people's lives, like you said. Um, So it's, it's funny. I mean, it wasn't the intent, you know, and, but it, that's, that was what the result was. Right. So uh, talk about, you've done a lot of deals now. Talk about a deal where, you know, a challenge came up, something challenging happened. Hmm. What, what, what was that and how did you guys solve it? So I'm going to talk about a couple of things. I'm going to talk about two different challenges. Um, one was early on and it has been a few early on ones. And the second is in this sort of syndication space. So the first real challenge I faced was actually on that first property I purchased in, you know, in Syracuse, New York. It, I had a really, really quick learning curve of Section 8 housing. Um, there was a drive-by shooting at the property within six months of me buying it. You know, think about, <laughs> you know, think about if, if that was someone, you'd move to Australia and you did the same thing. <laughs> you'd be like questioning everything that you'd ever thought, think of. You know, I've just spent this money and, oh, my God, there's a drive-by shooting. What the hell? You know, like I quickly realized that this was, I, it was a learning curve. The second deal I did was the first flip I did in Philadelphia. It, I, I ended up losing money personally. It was the first time I brought money in from my friends and family, and the contractor stole from me. Uh, like the no, contract, all what? the thing, the contractor stole materials from me. He he he, he had to fire him. I, oh, he the wasn't contractor getting permits. stole materials. Yeah, yeah, like I had to go. To, you know, I was using my own credit card to go into Home Depot and rebuy stuff. That the, the project took an extra six months to sell. That eats into, you know, interest, you know, interest eats into your pocket. And this is all before I've done a big multifamily syndication. In the syndication space, I had a, I had a deal, really great deal, um, at 1980s vintage in San Antonio, nine foot ceilings. You don't find many 1980s vintage with nine foot ceilings. Had a $150,000 water leak that took us three months to locate. Uh Three months huge, to locate, huge. not just fix. Holy cow. Yeah, three months to locate. It actually comes down to the, the, the pressure valve coming in off the street. We were looking all over the property and it was like, this, this has got to be gushing out somewhere. And there it was. We went to the pressure valve and it was gushing back into the stormwater drain. And the, the pressure valve was, was screwed. 
So, you know, <laughs> hunting around for all this stuff. And these are the little instances that life happens. Life, you were not going to have it perfect. I'm never going to have it perfect ever, right? And the thing is, you have to be, goes back to your point earlier, resilient enough to work through and problem solve. What happens if X goes wrong? Well, I'm going to have to go out and fix it. I'm going to communicate to my investors. And we might have to do a few things in order to preserve their capital, but I'm making the ultimate right decision for the, for the, for the asset and for their investment. So just realizing, and there's a sense of calm when you say that out loud, that things may go wrong and will probably more than likely will go wrong. And when you say that out loud, oh yeah, okay. So when it happens, it's not panic stations, it's how do we solve this? How do we sure. make sure we're doing the right thing by not only the asset, but also investors' capital, making sure the bank's aware of it, all that sort of stuff, and, and, and really bring it down to ground and just problem solving. Because that's that's nine times out of 10, what happens on deals is about you know trying to solve a problem. When, when something pops up, you've got to go out and solve. So being the engineer that I am, I just love solving problems. So that is what investment oh. is about. And you're going to come over some speed bumps every now and then, and you will get through the other side as long as you are level-headed and you have that resilience to get through it. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up that problem solving. So my, my business partner, he told me that when we were getting into the first deal, he said, Darren, the real estate business is all about problem solving. There's going to be issues on every deal and how you handle it and how you manage through that. And whether you like doing that is going to kind of tell you whether you want to stay in this business you know, some people, they, those problems come and they're like, oh, I don't want to ever deal with any problems. Well, mm-hmm. real estate may not be for you because there there are problems that happen and you need to be um, able to solve those. The other thing that's interesting and, and um, may go along with the curiosity, but I don't know if you've read Sam Zell's book. I forget the name of it, but, uh, um, you know, he I've, talks, yeah. Sam Zell is prob- probably the top, real estate guy in the country um, in Chicago. And, you know, he, he talks about being creative. And I was like, you know, creative. I'm a business guy. Like, I, I don't really think of real estate as being creative, you know. Um, but when you think about it, it, you know, it, it very much can be because there's problems that, you know, some people look at like, well, I can't finance this with agency money, you know, so, you know, it's not 90% occupied. So, well, how do you, how can you make it work for, for the seller and for the buyer? Um, you know, all different, different scenarios on how to make it work, how to make it a win-win when most people look at it and it doesn't fit in a box. So they just go on to the next one. Correct. I completely agree. Yeah. Creativity is, is probably the, the, the pairing to curiosity, right? You know, once you get, once you're curious about an issue, you get into it, then you got to go create the problem, the solution to fix it, right? Whether it be raising capital or getting a deal done or having a water leak, <laughs> you're going to, these things come up and you got to get creative around solving that problem. So yeah, I love that you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, I had somebody on that said, he was looking at like a $75 million deal and they looked at the two bedrooms and they were, they were large and they realized that they could 
chop them up into one bedroom and make that much more income. So they were able to bid higher on that. And the, the broker wasn't mentioning that at all. It was just their team's creativity and they ended up winning the deal. And, you know, I don't know if the, if the deal is performing to business plan or not, but you know, those types of things, you know, just to think a little bit outside the box, you know, can make a difference between winning a deal and not winning a deal. So talk about now the opposite. You're on it. You've you got a bunch of deals and on one property, all of a sudden something really good happens that really juices the returns. Like what happened and to, to help that? Uh, COVID, <laughs> you know, I, I, I will say that, you know, I, I don't have gray hair. You can, you know, you can, I, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. Uh, but COVID was, it was a double-edged sword. Um, it was for those people who started post 2008, like myself, this was our 2008. We had to navigate through uncertain times. We didn't know what was going to happen. Um, we came through that with, with flying colors in, in our personal portfolio. Uh, and we learned a lot about ourselves through that, you know, as operators, as fund managers, as investors, um, all the all, all boils down to people where we're in the people business, right? Where we're providing housing. We don't have tenants. We don't have income. We can't pay the bills. We can't pay our mortgage. We can't pay investors. So when I realized that and, and, and led with a people first mentality, that helped us build bridges with our tenants with any issues, you know, any potential issues or with our, with our lenders, uh, with our investors, you know, just being communi communicating what we're seeing on the front line during COVID. Uh, we came through that with flying colors. We, 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 we passed the test. I can say that Tim, we passed the test with flying colors. Now Good we're on the you. other side of it. Thank you. And, and, and some people, and most multifamily asset classes did really, really well, right? That's the reason there's so much liquidity in the market to, to buy multifamily because it did so much better than retail or hospitality or, you know, whatever that might be. Office, so right. the Office, because people always need a place to live. Now coming out the other side, you're also seeing coupling that with inflation, you're coupling that with the mass migration around the United States. You're seeing coastal rental prices start, you know, implement into secondary and tertiary markets like the you know, where you live in Dallas, you know, uh, I'm seeing massive rent growth, which is also coupling with massive price increases on our assets. So as an existing owner, buying at $80,000, $90,000 a door in a secondary market like Austin, or now it's pretty a primary market, or San Antonio, and things are now trading for $150,000, $170 a door, I look pretty freaking good now, right? Now, I didn't, I didn't expect that to happen, but the fundamentals are there to support it, right? Supply-demand. So... I think coming COVID was a real awesome litmus test for operators who knew who who were worth their salt, um, who could navigate challenges and problems and become creative to get through COVID. And then on the other side, we're now reaping the reward of having a portfolio, having an environment where our investors are going to make a, a, a fantastic return across many many deals. And that has been a sort of a, a blessing in disguise, I guess. You know, and a lesson learnt for me as a non-grade head person going through a quote-unquote recession for the first time, it's good to take stock of how we got here and what do you know, what, what does that mean for the next 10 years as we keep growing the portfolio? Right, right. A few things there. One, look, if you don't own anything, if you don't have equity in anything, 
you don't have the opportunity for that growth. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't own stock, if you don't own real estate, if you don't own a business, like there's no opportunity for it to go, you know, to see those gains. And so that that's important in itself. COVID, I, I don't know, um, you know, I'll share a little bit about what I saw. Um, you know, the A properties seem to, to do collections kind of almost were like the same, you know, people weren't going to the office, but they were, they were staying at home in their apartments, but they had the money to pay the rent. And so they paid the rent. C properties struggled a bit, you know, people that worked in restaurants Mm -hmm. and, you know, retail and, they either lost their job or had their hours cut and they don't have a lot of savings. They're paycheck to paycheck. Um, in the year of 2020 collections in those C properties, you know, were not stellar, you know, people, a lot of people didn't raise their hand to, to admit that. Um, but what happened was if, as long as they, they had the cash to sustain through that time period, then all of a sudden, when all the economic stimulus came out from the government, now all of a sudden they're paying back rent and future rent and the owners are starting to get repaid for that slow payment or no payment. Um, and then it ended up, and then interest rates went down and cap rates went down and, and valuations went up. And, and so it ended up being a blessing in disguise. But, you know, for many in that initial period, it was a little scary. And then as long as they were able to hold on and work through that, they saw the benefit on the other side. And, and, and we were not immune to that either. We, you know, we, we, we had proxy properties that had, you know, those issues, but did not have as much issues as office or retail or, you know, right, mass. Right. You know, we, 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 you know, maximum, I think we had 10% delinquency at one stage, you know, in the height, in the height of COVID through in, in one of our more blue collar uh, properties. So, but yes, we saw exactly the same thing. Absolutely. So um, talk about freedom, you know, freedom, time freedom and financial freedom. You know, everybody's chasing, I want to be financially free. I want my time freedom. Yeah. So um, look, you came here in 2012, you know, from Australia and you figured out how to make it work. And I'm assuming you've done pretty well for yourself. Yeah, look, I definitely wouldn't have achieved what I achieved here in the States at home. Um, But yeah, freedom, like I I have a different type of freedom now. You know, I'm now building a business. I work probably more than what I did in my day job, but it's, it's in a I'm building wealth, right? It's, 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 it's wealth creation. I don't pay myself a paycheck. I, I, I get paid through equity and when deals sell. Um, so I'm building massive, massive amounts of wealth that you know I'm starting to now see the benefits of all these years later because I'm, my first deal that I ever bought you know, as a syndication is, is about, about to sell. You know, like these are when the waterfalls start to happen and the cascade of money, it's now where do I put that in to continue for my family, for, 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 for their, you know, their kids in the future? Um, so yeah, there is, 
the, the act of building takes time. It doesn't just happen overnight and it will continue to work. You know, I'll continue to work really, really hard, but I love what I do. You know, I love building stuff. I, uh, that engineering brand. That's the, that's the difference right there, right? I mean, you're working right. a lot harder than a lot more than you, you may have been working before, but you love what you do. That's right. That's right. And I continue to be curious about what I do and continue to push myself and evolve and, you know, try and be the better entrepreneur and leader and husband and, you know, future father and all that sort of stuff. So um, I think there is in this, you know, in the journey of financial freedom, so many people get caught up of like, I'm just going to get there and then I sit on the beach. Well, the reality is you won't actually sit on a beach. The reality is you may go for a week and be like, I'm bored because, because right. the curious thing is that you want to keep building, right? You want to keep building, but enjoying the journey. I think that is the real peace of mind that has come while looking back is that I can enjoy where I'm at in my life. And that old saying of Tony Robbins, you underestimate, as you overestimate what you can achieve in a year, you can underestimate what you can achieve in a decade. I'm 35. I moved to this country when I was 26. I have no idea I'd be sitting here talking about a podcast and 3,100 units and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Right. When I'm 45, it's going to be something even better, you know, like, and I'm not stressed about where that 40, you know, the next 10 years, you know what I mean? Where maybe my 26 year old self would be stressed because I don't, right. I hadn't got it figured out. So for those people so what's looking the next to big the, stretch goal for you? I think, look, there's going to be evolutions of how the company evolves. I, I, I would, I would lie I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to do some deals back in Australia, take what I've learned here and go back there and do some stuff. But I'm always going to have my, my portfolio here in the United States and, and there's opportunities everywhere. That's, that's the best thing about what I've learned about chasing financial freedom is that opportunities can really present themselves in, in not just in real estate, but in businesses. You mentioned businesses earlier about vertically integrating, about become, creating an ecosystem of businesses that support one another. So you could step away if it, you know, right now, someone told me the other day, that's right. Uh, when you start, you're on a tricycle, right? You, 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 you put, you're pedaling, you're pedaling, you're pedaling, you're pedaling to go very, you know, not very far. Then you upgrade to a bike and you're going, you're pedaling, you're still, you're still pedaling, but you're going a lot faster. Then you upgrade to a car, right? It's got a bit of a dashboard. You're probably driving, but it's a lot more efficient. And then you're going to upgrade to a Porsche and then you're going to upgrade to a jet and all these things over time. I'm not the jet yet, but you start to look back and think, well, that's, that's how I become more effective with what I'm building. Now you're going faster. So if you crash, <laughs> things can, can happen, uh, be more catastrophic. But I think it's in that analogy of, you know, transitioning from car to jet, having the, the right people on the, on board to make sure we're flying safely and going in the right direction. That's what's really, uh, important to me now building a legacy for my family. And again, I think I always will be curious about new things, different asset classes, how I can push myself as an investor to look at the next new cool thing coming in housing or real estate or whatever it might be. And just be humble enough to know that I don't know everything and that's okay. And I'm, and I love to be uh, a student of, of the, of the investment world. And that's, that's exciting right now. Right. That's, 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 that's truly exciting to, to keep learning about what I'm doing as I evolve, as I grow and, and, you know, trying to build, build the jet one day. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I love that. I'm being driven, you know, but still being humble. Right. And, and, you know, there's some people that are completely driven, but they have, they're arrogant and that, you know, is frustrating. So you can keep leveling up, but still be humble and curious, which is huge. So, Hey, uh, what do you like to do outside of work? 
for fun. I love sur- I love surfing. I'm a bit, the, the, surfing. the reason I live so in Central Texas is, be, is because I'm a big uh, surfer. I live sur- in Los Angeles, and I love surfing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. That's it. So you get up in the morning. How many days a week do you surf? Well, it's all condition based, right? Like it's like fishing. It's like anything on the water. You have to have good swell. So I'm, I'm probably surfing at least twice a week, um, usually twice on weekends, week. because yeah. But I'm also a big rugby. I'm a rugby union fan. I love rugby. I've grown up playing it all my life. Uh, so surfing and rugby are big to me. I'm really into my fitness, love outdoors. Um, and it, you know, I, I'm happier when I'm surfing, you know, I mean, in nature, there's no phone, there's no one, no emails. Um, so, so surfing for me is really my, my flow state, my Zen. Like I just, I, I love doing it. And for me, you know, as, as much as, as long as I've been doing it, I'm not Kelly Slater. I know I'll ever be Kelly Slater, but I just enjoy getting out in the water, having a chat with a few mates, talking, talking some rubbish and catching a few waves. So, yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. Um, Hey, if somebody wants to reach out to you and get to know you better, what's the best way for them to contact you? Easiest way is to go to reedgoosens.com. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S. If you're ever coming through Los Angeles, you want to hit me up, you want to go out for a coffee or a beer and talk shop, you can just hit me up at info at reedgoosens.com. Just give me a bit of heads up when you come through town and we'll make it happen. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to doing that. I'll take you up on the beer. And um, awesome. <laughs> l- listeners, I hope that you guys enjoyed that one. Reed, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 